Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Last night was surreal. Last night was a little hard to believe. Bucks fans, I don't know if I have ever felt what I felt last night. The Bucks, of course, getting the Eastern Conference Finals underway against Toronto last night. And the Bucks coming away 108-100 winners. Game one at the Pfizer Forum last night. And we'll, we'll talk about the X's and the O's. We'll dig into the box score a little bit and then talk about some things that jumped out to me. But most importantly, I am so happy. I know we're not from Milwaukee. I know we don't live in Milwaukee. We're across the state, but... Is proud the wrong word? Does proud make me sound like a dad of the way that Milwaukee and Wisconsin as a whole just showed out last night? Pfizer form was rocking, but if you followed the pregame coverage or the postgame coverage on TNT, the Deer District, that whole plaza outside of Pfizer was just rocking. There was not, there was no standing room. It looked like a concert. People crowding around the, uh, the inside the NBA desk, you know, with Shaq, Ernie, and Chuck chanting, being right up on the front side and the back side of the set. Like, it was a great look for Milwaukee and how excited Bucks fans are to be in the Eastern Conference Finals last night. So I, I know we'll, we'll talk details and we'll talk who played well, who didn't, and, and, and how that impacts the rest of the series. But I just, I got to get that off my chest. That was awesome. That was cool. That felt really, really cool. And I don't know if I've ever felt anything like that as a Bucks fan before. 108-100, they were winners in game one last night. Let's talk about it. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, presented by Played Against Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for joining me. We'll have Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network coming up at 5.30. We'll talk to him as, of course, he was at Fiserv last night, taking care of things, covering the game. It, it, it really started off a lot like what game one against the Celtics felt like. It felt very similar, eerily similar, strangely similar, uncomfortably similar. Raptors were knocking down their shots. Everything seemed to be going in. Giannis was getting roughed up, didn't appear to be getting the calls, didn't appear to be getting the whistle that most Bucks fans think he deserves, right? Raptors were beating him up a little bit. And of course, the Bucks weren't hitting their shots. You put all that together and that's the game one catastrophe you saw just a couple weeks ago against the Boston Celtics. Now, it started like that. It felt like that in the beginning. The Bucks trailed 34 to 23 after the first quarter and and I'm I'm not I'm not going to lie. I I was feeling like here we go again. It, it's happening again. What we saw in game 1 a couple Sundays ago against Boston is is going down again. Now, luckily, uh, a couple of things went differently this time. Here's the difference. Against the Celtics, the Bucs had game one. They didn't hit their shots. Giannis didn't get the whistle uh, that that he probably deserved. Boston was able to rough him up a little bit, maybe get away with it. Well, after game one, they go and make some adjustments. Giannis says, okay, well, I'm going to play this way. We're going to do this differently. And if the shots don't start falling, we're going to start doing this. And if the other team gets hot, we're going to do this. That, in round number two, happening after game one. After that Sunday game. Yesterday, that happened at halftime. Last night, that happened during halftime and in the third quarter for Giannis. Against the Celtics, Giannis gets roughed up, has a a pretty quiet game one, and after game one says, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this differently in game two, makes those adjustments. This game, Giannis did that at halftime. Giannis didn't have a free throw attempt in the first half. Came back, and in the second half, wasn't incredible offensively. Toronto did a pretty good job making him earn everything, and if he was going to score, he was going to earn it from the free throw line. 
Giannis said, I, I'm not going to try to go around you. I'm not going to try to make plays that are flashy, uh, that are necessarily highlight real plays. I'm just going to beat, you're going to beat me up. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it back to you. And because basketball is designed where, much like other sports, the offensive player has the advantage. If you're roughing me up and I'm roughing you up, it's going to be to my advantage because I'm going to get to the free throw line. And I'm going to get my points that way. Now, yesterday, Giannis's stat line wasn't, I'm not going to say it wasn't impressive, but it wasn't amazing. He had 24 points, 14 rebounds, 6 assists. I will say that if the Bucs just hit a, a couple more threes, if the Bucs shoot a little bit better, they shot 25%. Shot 11 of 44 yesterday from beyond the three-point line, which is not very not very good, right? The Bucs normally average around 15 threes a game. Typically in the postseason, we've seen that be a little bit higher. They hit 11 yesterday. If they hit three, four, five more threes, Giannis is on the brink of a triple-double yesterday. And now all of a sudden, we're not talking about, well, Giannis only had 24. You know, yeah, yeah, he had 14 rebounds, but but offensively, he was really quiet, got a lot of those points at the free throw. Well, it doesn't matter because if the Bucs just shoot an inch better from beyond that three-point line, we're talking about a possible triple-double for Giannis. He was finding open shooters yesterday. He was drawing defenders, collapsing them into the paint, kicking them out to open shooters. But until the fourth quarter, those open shots weren't falling. That was another difference in the fourth quarter. Giannis could have had a triple-double had they shot the ball just a little bit better. Most of the discussion last night was on Brook Lopez and his 29-point splash mountain explosion. Hitting four threes last night. He had four blocks as well. It's not something you see very often. A player hit four threes and get four blocks. He was snapping up the rebounds as well. He had 11 for a double-double, 29. Uh, more points than he had in the entire Boston Celtics series combined through those five games. Brooke was incredibly impactful last night. He was, as we've seen oftentimes with these Bucks. he was that one starter outside of Giannis who popped. Right? He was that extra starter who played a little bit above the waterline of what you typically see. So... When when basketball analysts or when media members say, well, you can't expect that out of Brooke Lopez again. Well, you're probably right. The thing that makes the Bucks great is when Lopez is quiet, now we see Chris Middleton explode. Or when nobody can get anything going, Eric Bledsoe can take over. Or Nikola Mirotic can get hot. Yeah, Brooke Lopez probably isn't going to go for 29 again. But with the Bucks, it's very typical to see one of those four starters outside of Giannis have an above average game. Last night, it was Brooke Lopez's turn. And I bet if you were to ask him, he would probably say about damn time. Uh, after the first two series of the 2019 playoffs. In terms of the bench, well, the Bucks bench was much better than Toronto's. We'll talk about their supporting casts coming up. Malcolm Brogdon was the bench player who flashed. He was plus 18 in his time on the court. Malcolm Brogdon, in his minutes on the court, he played 27 last night. In his time on the court, the Bucks outscored the Raptors by 18 in 27 minutes. Comparing that to the other bench players, the Bucks had a nine-man rotation last night. Ursan Ilyasova was an even zero. George Hill was an even zero. Pat Connaughton was a plus one. Malcolm Brogdon, plus 18. He popped last night. Was one of the few consistent three-point shooters that was hitting all throughout the game. He was three of six. Bucks are happy to have Malcolm Brogdon back. Let's just say that. He was the one bench player. Uh, and by the way, and we'll talk supporting cast. We'll talk benches coming up next. But Malcolm Brogdon outscoring the entire Toronto bench, of which they only played eight guys. So three bench players used last night for Toronto. Milwaukee used four. I would imagine we'll see that continue uh, no names were really held out of the game last night where you're like, man, they got to get some run. Man, they got to get into the game. You know what I mean? So Giannis could have had a triple-double. It was, was right on the brink. Bucks just needed to shoot a little bit better. Lopez was that one of the other four starters to play above his average line last night with 27, and Malcolm Brogdon gave him the needed zip off the bench. The Bucks, it almost felt like they stole it. It almost felt like they stole it at the end. They gave up 34 points in the first quarter. They gave up 24 and 17 in the third and the fourth. Defense clamped down. Offense got better. And they surpassed and ended the game 
on a 10 to nothing run to win 108-100. We're going to continue to talk. We're going to talk supporting cast. We're going to talk bench. And, of course, Giannis and company as well. We're continuing to break down the Bucks' Game one win over the Toronto Raptors as they take his one to nothing lead in the Eastern Conference Finals. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports. Back in a moment here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. And and why would you not want to hang out and enjoy? We're talking the Bucks one to nothing series lead. Eastern Conference Finals started last night. It was a cool scene. Fans everywhere outside the Pfizer Forum almost taking over that inside the NBA set with Charles and Shaq and Kenny and Ernie. It, it was a cool moment for Wisconsin, a cool moment for Milwaukee and all Bucks fans throughout the state last night. It, it was a cool feel and and Look, we're a couple hours away from Milwaukee. We are on the other side of the state. I was out in downtown La Crosse last night doing a, doing a little bit of celebrating after the win last night. You would not believe the Bucks jerseys, the Bucks shirts, and not just Giannis jerseys, not just new shiny Giannis jerseys, but old Bucks jerseys before they rebranded. The purple and green, the red and green players who have been gone for years. Like, this has been a long time coming for fans who have stuck with this team through thick and thin. And, and last night, I think, just validated and, and maybe shot some extra excitement, obviously, in, into Bucks fandom all over the state, not just in Milwaukee. I was talking yesterday on the show as we were doing a little bit of a preview of Game 1 about the supporting cast. Because I think we can compare Giannis, we compare Ka- Kawhi Leonard all day. Like, whoever's better, make your argument, make your case. I, I don't think it's particularly... I don't think the gap is large. You can argue that Kawhi Leonard is better, fine, but not by much. You could argue that Giannis is better, but not by a huge margin. That's not going to, in my opinion, that's not going to be the deciding factor in the series because both of them are so good on both ends. Kawhi Leonard, Giannis was tremendous on defense yesterday. As much hype as Kawhi gets before being that two-way player, Giannis was just as good, if not better, on defense last night. These two players, I don't want to say they neutralize each other, but I, I don't know if you can argue an advantage for either one and their respective teams. Where the conversation has fallen is on the supporting cast. And this is where I think a lot of NBA people and NBA fans got it wrong. I think this is where people had it wrong against the Boston Celtics, saying Boston's deeper. Boston has a longer bench. Boston has more experience on their bench. No, 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 they don't. I I don't really know where that narrative came from. I don't really know how you could make that argument if you were asked to back it up uh, with any sort of statistics or names or or actual relevant information. I I think the Bucs are probably the deepest team. We're probably the deepest team in this entire postseason, and they're getting healthier while other teams are getting more injured. OG Ananobi didn't play for the for the Raptors last night. Meanwhile, the Bucs are getting Malcolm Brogdon back, who who might be one of, if not the most underrated player in the entire NBA. And I say that as a Bucs fan who is consciously trying to not come across as a homer, Malcolm Brogdon is incredibly underrated. They're getting healthier. They're getting deeper. And last night was just an example of why I think the Bucs are deeper than just about any team in this NBA postseason, including the Warriors, yes, including the Blazers, including the Raptors. Because last night, the Raptors bench was damn near unplayable. When Kawhi Leonard would go to the bench, and this is what we saw with LeBron in Cleveland for so many of those years, when LeBron was on the floor... They're competing. They're they're building a lead. They're slowly taking over a game. And the instant that LeBron went to the bench, the other team would go on a run and that lead would be evaporated and all that hard work that LeBron put in would go to waste. Kawhi Leonard has faced a very similar treatment in Toronto. And it wasn't that way throughout the regular season, but certainly in the postseason. 
When Kawhi Leonard is out there, this team has been great. And when he goes to the bench, not so much. The bench last night for Toronto, Norman Powell had six points. Serge Ibaka had four. He was miserably bad last night. He was minus 17. Serge Ibaka with four. And Fred Van Vliet gave you two. That was it. 12 points. Malcolm Brogdon single-handedly outscored Toronto's entire bench with 15. Now, Milwaukee's bench certainly wasn't as good as we have seen in the past in the postseason. I'm not going to act like Pat Connaughton went off because he didn't score. I'm not going to act like George George Hill didn't score last night. Malcolm Brogdon gave you 15, and Ersan Eliasova gave you 7. You only got 22 points off of your bench, but that's quite an advantage over Toronto's 12, right? But even past, we're talking about depth, we're talking about supporting casts. Ignore the benches and just look at the starting lineups. For example, Giannis scored 24 yesterday. Kawhi Leonard scored 31. Pretty comparable, although Leonard definitely has the advantage there, a six-point advantage or a seven-point advantage, six-point, yeah. But you look at their supporting casts, they both got help from one player. Kawhi Leonard got help from Kyle Lowry, who, who gave you 30 and was lights out. I can't imagine we'll ever see him play that well in the playoffs again. Kyle Lowry had 30, and much like the Bucks had Brooke Lopez score 29. Outside of that, that's where you really start to see that advantage for the Bucks. Marc Gasol only had six. You look at a guy like Chris Middleton, who had 11. Miritich had 13. Danny Green only had six, while Eric Bledsoe had nine. Like I said, Chris Middleton, 11. The Bucks, the Bucks supporting cast was much better. There were times, and certainly during the Philadelphia series, and, and even continuing into last night, where I looked at where I looked at Toronto and and watched their supporting cast, like Danny Green, like Mark Gasol, who was abused by Brook Lopez on offense last night. Uh, the Bucks, I, I think, are going to make life really tough for for Mark Gasol. There were times where the supporting casts outside of Kawhi Leonard would stand there and wait for Leonard to do something, much like maybe we saw in Cleveland with LeBron drive. Draw players, and we'll sit out here for a three, and if you can't make it happen, just heave one out here, and, and we'll we'll try our best. That's what I saw with Toronto in the Philadelphia series. That's a little bit what I saw last night as well, though Kyle Lowry was tremendous. I, I do think there, there is an element of, of non-aggression. There is a little bit of hesitance from Toronto, and, and players like Marcus Gasol and, and Danny Green, and Pascal Siakam was okay. He had 15 points, but only three of those came in the second half, if I'm remembering correctly. There's some reluctance to be aggressive. Let's talk about that second half. I saw this on a, on a network show on First Things First on FS1 this morning, and then I checked it on the stats, made sure this was correct, because we only deal with correct stats. We, we don't botch things here on the Wisco Sports Show. I never uh, do mental math incorrectly. I never count up things incorrectly, right? Yesterday in the second half, Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry went 12 of 24 for 37 points. In the second half, okay, a lot of that was Kyle Lowry. Kawhi Leonard had a pretty quiet fourth quarter. The rest of the team in the second half combined to go one of 23 from the field with only four points. I mean, one of those is a free throw. The one and only field goal make outside of Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry in the second half of the Raptors yesterday was that heave of a prayer buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter from Pascal Siakam. That was it. No designed plays to get a look for Pascal Siakam or a kickout look to Danny Green. No high pick and roll or, or something designed to get Mark Gasol a touch where, where he finds an advantage. No. The rest of the team, so not just the bench, but the supporting cast outside of Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry combined to go 1 of 23 for only 4 points. And the one made field goal uh, was a, a prayer heave at the buzzer. 
So to say that Toronto is a deeper team, a, 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 a team that can go deeper into its bench and gets more from its its supporting cast outside their superstars, it's just factually incorrect, and, and you could see it, and it was obvious last night. Four points in the second half outside of Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry was tremendous. And if you've watched the NBA with any sort of detail in the playoffs the last couple of years, you know that that's typically not the case. Typically not the case for Kyle Lowry. Typically, he's actually he's actually quite bad. Sometimes it looks like the moment's too big for him. Sometimes it looks like he's overshadowed by other players who are, who are just better in stressful situations on the road in meaningful games in the postseason. Kyle Lowry was tremendous last night. He had 30 points, 7 of 9 from beyond the three-point line. Now... For all the people out there who are saying Brooke Lopez isn't going to score 29 again. Okay, that's true. I, I would, uh, I might make a wager that Brooke Lopez has just as good of a chance to score 29 again as Kyle Lowry does to score 30. I'm just not a believer in Kyle Lowry. I'm just not. I think that was an outlier last night. The Bucs are very good at dealing with outlier type games, right? When the Bucs aren't hitting their threes when things aren't going their way, when the game is not transpiring exactly the way they need it to or the way they would prefer it to, they are one of the best teams in the NBA with with outlier games, okay? When they're facing an outlier shooting performance, all right, we'll shoot the mid-range. All right, we'll get to the rim. All right, we'll get to the free throw line. The Bucs have been able and were able last night to do things a little bit differently in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter. And as I said at the beginning of the show, the adjustments that were made in the previous round against Boston between game one and two, they were made at halftime and at the third quarter break last night. They're evolving. They're getting better. They're beginning They're beginning to believe, as uh, as Neo would, would say in the Matrix, right? Giannis uh, uh, making those adjustments at halftime, saying, all right, it doesn't need to be pretty. I don't need to Euro step past you every time. If you're going to play physical with me, I'm going to give it right back to you. And due to the nature of the rules... I'm on offense, I will get to the free throw line, and you will eventually foul out. And that's the attitude that he brought last night in the second half. Giannis shot uh, 12 free throws last night, all of them in the second half. He didn't shoot a single free throw in the first, which is a little bit absurd, which is a little bit crazy, and, and probably played into maybe the uh, the availability, let's say, of, of the referees and, and the blowing of their whistles in the second half when Giannis got in the paint. No free throws in the first half is... A little bit of an outlier. Giannis making those adjustments at halftime, not waiting until after game one. Improvements here, there, and everywhere. And we'll talk about those improvements with Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network. He will join us coming up next. Of course, we got to talk to Scrady because he just can't keep himself off the airwaves. Scrady coming up. Justin Garcia on the way. A lot more of the Wisco Sports Show to come here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM, streaming live on our mobile app. As always, if you haven't downloaded it, go make it happen. Joining us now on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line, part of that Bucks Radio Network that you've heard all season long, regular season and postseason here on WKTY. That's Justin Garcia, former UWL grad as well. Justin, I said I'm in a great mood today. I bet you are as well. What's going on? Yeah, uh, you know, as we were talking about, certainly a better mood than it appeared we were headed towards, what, for the first two and a half oh. or three quarters last night. No kidding. I, I was I was ready to be in a bad mood, and we, we started the show. I, I was talking about how it felt very similar to game one against Boston, but this time 
Giannis seemed to make some of those adjustments at halftime and at the third quarter break instead of waiting until after game one. He's like, I'll just, it doesn't have to be pretty. I'll just get to the line. If you want to be physical with me, I'll give it right back to you, which is a switch he made after game one. This time, just doing a little bit sooner. What was the difference that you saw after halftime and then again in the fourth quarter as the Bucks just creeped closer and closer before finally uh, just jumping ahead and winning the thing? Uh, I mean, I, I, to me, I think it was two things. Uh, one, it, it's kind of hard to quantify, but just at first blush, you do wonder how much fatigue factors in for the Raptors when this is basically turned into the Kawhi show. And, and for all the strides we've seen from Pascal Siakam throughout the regular season, he had a very good series against the Magic in round one. That kind of disappeared after the first two or three games against the Sixers. He didn't play poorly yesterday, but you know, really the last five or six playoff games the Raptors have played, it's kind of all resting on the shoulders of Kawhi Leonard. And against that, the, the Sixers in that series, four of those seven games, he played 40 minutes or more. He played 40 minutes or more again last night. And you do have to wonder how much, I guess you would say, he can hold up. Not that far, but how much fatigue factors in. So I think that was part of it. And not just Kawhi, but look at some of the minutes totals from some of the other guys that DeMarcus Saul played. I think he played, I think that might be one of the biggest adjustments Raptors coach Nick Nurse makes in maybe all the talk was, you know, in the Celtics series, how do you play Brooke Lopez off the floor? Maybe you have to ask the same thing if you're the Raptors about Marcus Saul. He played a lot of minutes last night. Kyle Lowry played a lot of minutes. They had a lot of guys. They went eight deep. They only played seven in game seven against the Sixers. But it certainly seemed like a team that was a, a team that was starting to get some dead legs. But really, the biggest thing to me was just regression. That the Raptors are not a three-point shooting team. They were so hot in the first half, shooting almost fifty percent from three. The Bucks couldn't buy a bucket. That you knew both of those numbers would regress to the mean a little more. And I think those are the two biggest things that swung it in the Bucks' favor. Well, let's talk about three-point shooting. I want to come back to fatigue. But since you since you left with threes, I, I saw. Um, Dean Maniot, who who's part of that that Bucks Twitter sphere, he tweeted this the other night, and I thought this was really interesting. When faced with an outlier performance, uh, meaning one of those instances where the Bucks sh- shots don't fall and the other teams do, and, and this uh, particular example means the Bucks shooting below twenty five percent from three and their opponent over forty five, the Bucks won fifty two, almost fifty three percent of those games in the regular season. Meaning when their three point shots aren't falling. They found other ways to get it done. What did you see last night when the threes weren't falling? I believe they shot 25% even, 11 to 44 last night. How did they stay afloat uh, through that whole game until their three-point shots did start to fall in the fourth quarter? Yeah, well, that's what good teams do. And Brooke Lopez, honestly, in that, um, you know, and and we saw this, I want to say, two or three other times this season. One, it may have been against, the uh, Brooklyn Nets. I can't remember who it was against, but we saw one other time too where Brooke Lopez, I think he had 18 points in the third quarter and just took over when the shots weren't falling and it seemed like Coach Bud just said, okay, Brooke, we know you can get touches in the paint. We know you can get easy looks there. We're just going to go to that until we see some shots start to fall. That's what you saw, especially in the second half. Brooke Lopez just took over. And I think for the Bucks, you know, it, it goes back to what it's been from day one. And that every single player there will tell you when the shots aren't falling, they're not discouraged. And the coaching staff reminds them to keep shooting because, you know, the whole percentage game, and we all know three is worth more than two, but if you just stick with the percentages and the overall mean here, the more shots you put up, the more likely, even if you're struggling, the more likely they're going to start to fall. That's what we saw 
in uh, really the fourth quarter is when it jumped out the most for the Bucks yesterday. But in the meantime, it was it was the offense of Brook Lopez that kept them afloat, and Eric Bledsoe I thought was much more aggressive in that third quarter, taking it to the basket. But really, uh, we're doing it in service to not mention the defense because that's what allowed the Bucks to at least hang around. And there were some frustrating parts where every time it felt like the Bucks were going on a run, the Raptors would answer with a big shot and kind of uh, slow that down. But in the second half especially, the Bucks defense made sure, even when the threes weren't falling, the Raptors weren't converting with baskets of their own. So the Bucks were able to chip away because of that post play from Brook and I think the defense again. And, and, you know, Chris Middleton, I know a lot has been made, and, and you and I, I think, have had this conversation a couple of times. Yeah. A lot is going to be made about the point total that, that Chris Middleton had yesterday or some of the turnovers he had down the stretch. And that is frustrating. But the defense that Chris Middleton played on Kawhi Leonard yesterday can't go unnoticed. The job that he did, look at how inefficient Kawhi was from the field. He did get 31, but the amount of shots he took. And in the second half, too, again, maybe fatigue was a part of that. But Chris Middleton and company really made things tough on Kawhi Leonard in that second half. Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network, UWL grad as well, joins us now on the five-star telecom talking text line. I-, I thought, Justin, that going into last night, Budenholzer might be looking to transition towards a lineup where they play three guards, and then Giannis and Miritich are their only two forwards, meaning you get Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Middleton all on the court at the same time with Giannis and Miritich, because we saw them kind of tinker with that a couple games ago, and it performed really well. Brooke Lopez might have last night put an end to that talk for at least a while do you think that they do stick with that starting five that we've seen, which includes Lopez, uh, for the time being? And do you think Brogdon gets stuck back in there for Miritich at any point? He was phenomenal last night uh, in his short time. I believe he was plus 18. Yeah, plus 18 yeah. in only 27 minutes. Do you think Bud's content to keep him coming off the bench, or do you think the the end goal is to get him back in the starting lineup before the end of this series? Well, I don't, I don't think Brooke ever comes out of the starting five, but the Brogdon thing is interesting because I – I kind of question the same thing before the series and just looking at the starting fives here and you go over the potential matchups. We knew as it was in the regular season, Chris Middleton would draw Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Giannis would draw Pascal Siakam. And I thought that was really the biggest thing because for the reasons we just mentioned, it's basically been the Kawhi Leonard show here for the Raptors. So if you're the Bucks, I think the thought is Pascal Siakam has basically developed into that number two guy for the Raptors. So the hope is, keep Giannis on him, and, and maybe Giannis can take him out of the game because you know, part of the success against the Celtics was outside of game one, the secondary pieces didn't really hurt you, and I think that was part of the Bucks' strategy of we'll let Kyrie Irving take as many shots as he wants and, and let him basically stall the offense and be the guy that does that because then it means the ball isn't in the hands of guys like Jason Tatum or Al Horford, and et cetera. Uh, I think to some extent it's the same here with the Raptors in that you know how good Kawhi Leonard is. He's having one of the best post seasons we've seen from a wing player uh, really all time, and really it's on the level of Michael Jordan. So you know how good he is. You're not going to completely shut him down. You know he's going to get his points. So I do wonder if part of it is just look to take out the pieces like Pascal Siakam and make sure it's just Kawhi. But when you look at the rest of it, Okay, Brooke Lopez matches up with Marcus Sol. You know Eric Bledsoe is going to draw Kyle Lowry. To me, the reason why I wondered if we would see Malcolm Brogdon back was because of Danny Green. And how confident do you feel knowing Nico Miritich is who's going to draw Danny Green most of the time in yeah. those matchups? 
yesterday it didn't appear to hurt you, and I know Coach Bud talked about it before the game too, and said, you know, Nico approached him and talked about wanting to get in those kind of matchups, and Nico was kind of selling Bud on his defense and saying he thinks his defense goes unnoticed. So I think they're going to keep it as is for now. I mean, maybe that would change in the finals, but, you know, the bench has been so important for this team. George Hill didn't have a great offensive game, but you still had big contributions from that second unit. And this time it was Malcolm Brogdon leading the way. So I think having that steady guard play coming off the bench is something that's been really big for this team. So I would anticipate, barring something unforeseen here, they're going to keep the same starting five throughout this series. Justin, last question. What, what do you think the message was in Toronto's locker room last night? What do you think the vibe was? Because I, I think it reminds me of, of last year's game one where they played so well and they did everything right yeah. and it looked like they were finally breaking through and then the Cavs got them at the end and, and you're really left standing there with your you-know-what in your hand not knowing what happened. Does, is that what it reminded you of? Or do you think the Raptors, the other side of that coin, they played great, they didn't come up with it, but they know they can hang. They weren't supposed to win on the road anyways. What do you think the attitude, what do you What do you think the demeanor is like going into game two tomorrow night? You know, as soon as that game ended, my thought, and I immediately went to was that was just a gut punch and maybe a backbreaker for the Raptors. And similar to look at the Western Conference in the semifinals when a team like the Rockets, where you couldn't, be, you couldn't put away the Warriors last year when you were up 3-2, this year, series tied at two, and Kevin Durant goes down. You can't win that game. You can't win at home in a game when Steph Curry had zero points at halftime, and you watch that game slip away. To me, it felt a lot like that for the reasons we outlined. The Raptors were shooting very well, um, really up until the fourth quarter. Kyle Lowry had a game that, you know, I think it's going to be hard-pressed for Kyle Lowry to replicate what he did. Yeah. 30 points, I think he was 7 of 9 on threes, uh, Kyle Lowry played incredible. The Bucks did not shoot the ball well. Uh, Giannis didn't have a great game. Three-point shots weren't falling for this team. And, you know, the minutes totals and everything we went through, the amount of minutes you had to play Kawhi Leonard, similar to uh, how games went, things went in game one against the Celtics, all of these things seemed stacked in favor of the Raptors. Free throws, too. There was four free throws in the first half for the Bucks. Giannis had none. That's the way they officiated the game. That's wild. It seemed to line up here for the Raptors and for them to watch that game slip away in the fourth quarter when you know you have to get one of the first two games in Milwaukee because if you fall behind 2-0, history says things aren't on your side here and you've got to win four of the next five games. That felt like the game that was there for the Raptors to take because I don't see the Bucks coming out and having another offensive performance like that in the next four to five or six games here. No, I agree. We're going to learn a lot about the, the mental makeup of the Raptors, which in past years has not been good. We'll see if that uh, changes this year with Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard and, and a couple of those new players. Justin, enjoy the rest of the series. I got to remind myself to just enjoy it. I think I was too stressed last night. I'm having a ton of fun. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining us again, Justin. You know, we're seeing a lot more people from around the state down here games. I've seen a couple of lacrosse stations. What are they going to send you down there? You know what? I... One of these days, I'm going to walk by my boss's office when his door is open, and I'm going to have the gall to say, hey, uh, you know, we got any of those? You got any tickets? You got, you got anything for me? I've been scared to ask. But I know a couple other UWL students were down there last night, and, and downtown lacrosse last night was full of Bucks jerseys, not just Giannis jerseys, but old red and green ones and purple and green ones. It was a cool moment. 
Well, good to hear, and yeah, you'll have to let me know next time you're down there. I will, Justin. We'll uh, we'll blitz the inside the T or inside the NBA the TNT set uh, when yeah. we're down there for the next win. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. That's Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network. Joins us on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. L- lacrosse is is getting Bucks fever right now. The whole state is. When typically the Bucks have been a more regionalized team in the past, I don't think that's unfair to say, right? Like like Marquette, when Marquette is winning national championships and they're winning tournament games, the entire state gets excited, right? Not necessarily the case when they're mediocre or awful, which has been uh, more often than not for the Milwaukee Bucks the last couple of years. So, uh, so if any of my bosses are listening, by the way, if you got any tickets, let me know. So I'm saying we got we got guests wondering. It's for the good of the station, for the good of the Wisco Sports Show. So if you are listening, just just come talk to me. We'll we'll talk tickets, okay? I want to talk about uh, what Justin and I just discussed, and that is where does Toronto go from here? Because th- there's two sides of this coin. It could go one way or the other. We'll talk about both sides and how that impacts the Bucks in their upcoming game two tomorrow. Next, as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. <laughs> Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Let's play a little sports psychologist. Let's try to get into the heads of these players and these coaches after last night because the way these games go matters, right? 108-100 is very different than 120-100, and how those scores come to be are very important as well, right? Last night, we see a night where Kawhi Leonard, albeit inefficiently, scores 31 points and Kawhi or Kyle Lowry scores 30 right Giannis wasn't tremendous offensively he only had 24 like like these things matter in the outlook and the momentum and everything that comes after game one of these Eastern Conference finals I I heard a take last night first by Kenny the Jet Smith and then I heard it repeated again on first things first this morning on FS1 so I, I really don't feel bad about stealing it it's been kicked down the line a couple of times now Talking about where these two teams, specifically Toronto now, are going to go from here. Because I, I talked to Justin, Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network. If you missed a, our interview, you can check out the podcast at WKTYsports.com in a couple of minutes. Where does Toronto go from here? Because it reminded me a lot of last year when Toronto played incredible in game one at home. And, and they did everything right and everything went their way. And they still lost to LeBron James and the Cavs. And you're left standing there going, how could it possibly go better? How could Toronto possibly do things differently? And like... Where do you go from here? Last night kind of had a similar feel. Now, obviously, my fandom was injected into last night. I was watching last year's game between the Raptors and the Cavs much more objectively. But I would imagine that last night, casual fans might have viewed that game very similarly to game one of the Eastern Conference Finals last year. We're hearing talk people talk about Portland-Golden State and Milwaukee-Toronto, right? We're one game into both of these series. It's 1-0 of both of the the home teams won game one. And the way they're being discussed is interesting because Portland, they got got blown out essentially, right? And I I hear people saying, Portland is done. They got blown out. They can't hang in this series, right? They, They got blown out in game one. And now I'm hearing people talk about the Raptors and how they lost in game one saying, I, I would have rather they got blown out. This was worse. This is a this is a gut punch. This this hits you in your stomach. This is deflating. Knowing that you did everything right, you were right there and you still lost. I would r- rather you get blown out. And I'm sitting here going, "Wait, well, are are we approaching these these two 
conference finals differently? Like, are, are these two different teams? Like, you're, you're you're saying you would rather the Raptors get blown out, and you're saying the, the Portland Trailblazers are done because they got blown out. Like, that doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. You can't have it both ways. The deficit and the way these games transpire matters. And Kenny, Kenny Smith, Kenny the Jet on TNT inside the NBA last night first said it, championship teams, and we don't know if the Raptors are one, but championship teams would view this loss as, hey, we were right there. We took them to the final minute on their home floor. The best team up until this point in the NBA. 33-8 and eight at home. This, this team's been nails at Pfizer form. We took them to the final moments. Yeah, we didn't get it done, but we're not supposed to win on the road anyways. We'll come back in two days, and, and we know what it takes. That's how a championship team would view this. A team that's not a championship contender, doesn't have that mindset, would say, man, what else can we do? Everything went our way. Everything went the way we could have asked for, and we still didn't do it. We're screwed. We're done. Let's go home, because that was our best shot. Those are the those are the two approaches. We're going to learn which side of the coin the Raptors fall on, I think, based on how they come back tomorrow night for Game 2. Like, you couldn't ask for things to go much better. It was an outlier game in terms of the way the three-point shots fell in favor of Toronto. Milwaukee shooting 25%, even they were 11 of 44. That's below their average. They average about 15, 16 made threes a game. Toronto shot 35%, which isn't tremendous. It's not otherworldly, uh, but it's certainly better than 25%. It's a 10% bump. They hit 15 of 42. I thought in the first half, it was officiated advantageously to Toronto. Any any half of an NBA basketball game where Giannis doesn't get to the free throw line, I think is a farce. And it happens, don't get me wrong. It's a fluke, but it was a fluke that went in favor of the Raptors last night, and they didn't really take advantage of it. They didn't. They had opportunities to run away with yesterday's game, like we saw the Celtics do. We know it's possible in the first quarter, in the second quarter, in the third quarter. And then you got into crunch time with Kawhi Leonard, who played 33 of the first 36 minutes. You couldn't find him time to get onto the bench. And as Justin alluded to uh, when we spoke to him earlier on in the show, four of the five starters for Toronto all played 40-plus minutes. Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol both played 40. Leonard and Siakam both played 42. And you are coming off a Sunday game seven against the Sixers, which went literally right to the final buzzer with that buzzer beater. And Kawhi Leonard's already playing a bunch of minutes. This team is tired, okay? You had three quarters to put it out of reach to put the Bucks in their place to quiet the arena like Boston did, and you didn't do it. And then when crunch time rolled around, now the dominoes are starting to fall the other way. Now Milwaukee starts hitting their threes. Now Giannis is getting to the free throw line. Now the, 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 uh, the fatigue is catching up with you because Kawhi Leonard played 42 minutes last night out of 48. And he took 26 shots. That's a lot of shots. All right? Shots put wear and tear on you. They are exhausting. It's not like making a tackle in football. I'll give you that. It's not like running a mile in track. Getting shots up. Taking 26 shots is a lot of work. Pile that onto it. They were playing an inefficient style of basketball. They had opportunities all throughout this game to put it away. And they didn't. Now that's okay if this team has a championship mindset and says, hey, we were right there. We know what it takes. We know we're capable of it. We just have to do one or two things differently. We'll win on Friday night, and we'll go back to Toronto. We'll go back to Jurassic Park tied one-to-one. If they're a championship team, that's what they say. And game one is is just that. It is game one where the Bucks won. But if they don't have that mindset, it's going to be much like we saw last year when LeBron James and the Cavs beat them in game one in Toronto, despite Toronto playing tremendously and everything going the Raptors' way. And they didn't lead... 
The Cavs didn't lead in that game until they actually won at the end. That's deflating. That's a stomach punch. That's a gut punch. And you know that exhausted as you are from the previous series against Philly, which Milwaukee could not be more rested, winning in five. I suppose they could be one more game rested. They could have swept, right? I suppose. Knowing that you got to do this again in two nights back in Milwaukee against a, a, a Bucks team where their starters, much more manageable load. Giannis only played 37 minutes to Kawhi Leonard's 42. Chris Middleton, 35 to Siakam's 42. Brooke Lopez, 35 and Bledsoe, 30 uh, compared to Gasol and uh, and uh, and Danny Green, who played 40 minutes apiece. Like, I, the advantage is there. The advantage is there for the Raptors in game one. They blew it. They didn't get it done. How they react and how they respond tomorrow night for game two is going to tell us a lot about their makeup, a lot about their mindset, and whether or not that culture that, let's be real, was a little soft, left the door with DeMar DeRozan, and a new culture, a new mindset came in with Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, both of which have won championships before, right? So we'll see. That's what remains to be seen. Brewers won today as well. It's a shame we didn't get to talk about it. We'll cover that tomorrow, and we'll also look forward to game two, which will be tomorrow night here on WKTY. Have a good night. Talk to you tomorrow. 